Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Katie Hobbs emergency, can't testify, seriously, uh, FTX, another Democrat scandal, omnibus bill, proof deep state hates America, and I am not kidding, uh, Stanford word police agenda, dangerous audacity, Trump tax releases, and still, at the end of it all, Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm back in the Dallas studio today, uh, which is a great thing. And I want to, uh, you know, I want to tell you a little story about last night and then um, tell you about the show topics I want to talk about today. Um, Last night, my husband and I went to a wonderful event. Uh, it was sponsored by a group here in Dallas called the Dallas Jewish Conservatives. And it's a great, uh, really a thriving group. They get great speakers in. And last night I was honored to get to do, uh, be the moderator in kind of a, what they were calling a fireside chat. Uh, and the two people who, uh, whom I was interviewing uh, were Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips. So Catherine Engelbrecht, well known to every patriot. She was a founder of True the Vote. She's just an endless, uh, relentless, upbeat, cheerful warrior on behalf of election integrity. Greg Phillips, with whom she's been working recently, uh, he helped her gather the data related to the uh, what was then given to Dinesh D'Souza, the 2000 Mules film. So the two of them just talking about the status of where we are on election integrity. And you know, one thing I came away with, I mean, they were very upbeat. It was a very substantive conversation. And the people in the room, uh, these are, you know, serious. It was, a, it was a great event, a big event. And the people in the room were very are very serious patriots. And, you know, among the many things I took away is that there really is a growing understanding um, among the American people um, about what needs to happen to get America back on track, that we actually have to address election integrity, not just talk about it, not just put on programs, not just get expert witnesses to explain things once again, but we have to find a way to get the system to respond to the will of the American people. And when we can't get the legislatures to respond and we can't get the courts to respond, it is the people, which is the vast majority of people, and even people who vote on the left would say they care about election integrity, but the action needed, the, the people that hold power in our country don't seem to want to respond. They just don't. You can attribute all sorts of reasons, but at the end of the day, there's a growing sense that what the people in this country know is needed. We don't have an outlet. We don't have a vehicle, a proper legal vehicle to bring about what needs to happen. So on the first five today, um, I wanted to just briefly tell you, I'm sure you probably saw this, this news, but we talked in the past few days several times about Carrie Lake bringing her litigation in Arizona related to the Arizona governor's race and the 
you know, just endless absurdity that the woman against whom she was running, the Democrat candidate for Arizona governor, was at the time the sitting Secretary of State and had the ability and the responsibility to oversee the election. And she, this Katie Hobbs, um, much like Joe Biden in running for president in the year 2020, you know, didn't campaign, wouldn't debate, barely came out of her basement. You know, no one listens to her. She couldn't gin, gin up a crowd if her life depended on it. And you had the very popular, uh, the um, and what I, who, the person I believe to be the winner, Carrie Lake. Uh, but at the end of the day, after election day, you know, they announced to who knew this Democrat um, Secretary of State squeaked by overseeing her own election. She wants anyway. So where we are now, so Carrie Lake's filed her litigation, the Republican candidate, and a court threw out most of the claims uh, that she made, but they're allowing two claims to go to trial. And so, and the, the judge was very, this is not a judge really looking for trying to dig in and get to the whole truth. This is a judge who basically said, okay, these two counts, causes of action can go to trial, a two-day trial. What's very difficult, given the complexity of the situation, to say, get all the evidence you can in two days. But compounded with that, so Katie Hobbs, um, who the uh, purported winner of the Arizona gubernatorial election, uh, was going to be a witness. Katie Hobbs had previously filed a motion to quash the subpoena against her to basically say to the court, please don't let these evil Carrie Lake people make me testify. I'm too busy. I'm too important. I don't have to testify. So she, this this uh, motion this uh, to quash the subpoena, it's called, filed by Katie Hobbs, and originally the judge rejected it, said, no, you have to testify. But then in light of the uh, what was dropped out of the case, the, the causes of action the judge threw out, Katie Hobbs renewed her effort and said, I shouldn't have to testify. Now there is, and I'm not going to bore you with the legalities because they're largely inconsequential, but there is a little argument Katie Hobbs had about the imprecision or, or inaccuracy um, with respect to the service of process because she's being sued as Secretary of State and in her individual capacity. So she takes advantage of that, Katie Hobbs, and says, that's not right, blah, blah, I shouldn't, you know, she's complaining about that. And she's saying, basically, given the only uh, pieces of the case left, I shouldn't have to testify because, after all, you know, they don't need me. And so the last I read about this before, and I, I was checking up on the story right before we got going today, uh, the last I read is that there's a reporter actually um, in Arizona who has reported that Carrie Lake's lawyers have withdrawn the subpoena against Katie Hobbs. And so she gets out of having to testify, at least as of now. Now maybe if whatever develops in this trial might happen and, and the subpoena may again be issued, and there's reasons that maybe Katie Hobbs will still uh, face having to answer questions for her behavior and her conduct and the conduct of this absurd election in Arizona. But the larger point I want to make, and really the big, uh, to close out the first five, is to say this. There is a growing gap. You might call it a massive Grand Canyon-sized chasm between the American people and what they expect our government to do, the courts and the legislatures, and what those courts and legislatures will do. Because Katie Hobbs is, you know, she's squirming out of it. She is not going to testify. And of course, many people who recognize the absurdity of what occurred in the um, uh, in Arizona in the, on election day are just clamoring for. Could someone, someone hold her accountable? Can someone make her answer questions? She doesn't answer questions. She answers nothing to the reporters. Of course, they don't really ask her anything. She doesn't have to answer in court now. And the people are left just thinking, no one ever listens to the people. 
There's no one listening to the people, including now this court and including the legislature, cannot get the people who have the capacity to address, to air the grievances related to election fraud. No one will do it, not even the court. So at least as of now, uh, Katie Hobbs has squirmed out of, at least as of today, squirmed out of testifying. Uh, you know, she's in the previous uh, motion that she filed trying to say she shouldn't really have to testify, it did relate to kind of, I'm too busy, please don't bother me. Those were not her words, but that was kind of the message. But I, I this issue of whether or not, you know, how Carrie Lake's litigation comes out, which is, you know, it, it's highly doubtful a court is going to say that she, Carrie Lake, has proven a case sufficient to, to move forward anything. Now, um, I mean, maybe it would be a great thing, for example, if this court were to hear from the whistleblower from Runbeck Corporation as an example and say, yeah, a lot of, of ballots got dropped on the day of election with no chain of custody, mail-in ballots, and we have no idea what happened. We have just no idea uh, who they were and, and whether they're valid. Now, if that, that were to be admitted in testimony and believed, you know, maybe then you get some um, consequential ruling from the court. But as it stands right now, you know, Whittled away her the case Katie Carrie um, Lake filed whittled down to two claims, very very concerning that the judge doesn't seem to have a whole lot of energy, um, you know, to do much of anything. Only allowing two two a cause of action to go forward, and uh, almost more importantly, uh, giving a two day trial and and now you don't have the main culprit who the person whom I believe to be the culprit uh, among others, uh, Katie Hobbs is clearly not going to have to testify at all. And it's not just that this case matters. This case does matter a lot. But the larger point I'm making in closing out the first five is that this is untenable in a democratic republic. It's untenable that the American people, a growing, growing number of them, polls show all the time, even the Democrats don't trust our election system. The Republicans certainly don't. And yet we seem to not be able to get relief from state legislatures, state courts, federal courts, Congress, anywhere, and, and it, it, it's going to have a long-term consequence on America's sense of stability as a nation if you feel like you've really lost the right to choose your government, because what you really then, you've lost the Constitution's promise of self-governance, a very alarming uh, set of developments. So we'll keep, I'll keep you apprised, and you will probably be following the news too about Carrie Lake, but not a good thing that Katie Hobbs is just not going to face pretty much anything uh, with respect to Carrie Lake's lawsuit. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So um, I want to hit this. I, yesterday, I tried to, I said in the start of the show, I wanted to get to this FTX scandal, and this wasn't time. And, and you know, so we're here we are today. And again, there are a bunch of stories I want to hit today. And I'm not going to dive in as deep as I, I thought I might be able to, but I want to make a couple points about this FTX scandal. So obviously, you know, everyone's been hearing about this. It's just astonishing uh, collapse of this um, of the gentleman uh, who ran it, a gentleman using that term loosely, um, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, who founded FTX. And, you know, it was a, um, it's one of these cryptocurrency, um, highfalutin, um, you know, cryptocurrency company and let people get caught up and think, oh, this is cool. It's the latest way to make money and money gets put in. And, you know, he's high flying with the millionaires and the billionaires and he's zipping around the planet. 
And you know, this is a young kid, a young man uh, with no apparent educational background, professional background, um, economic or any other acumen, any reason to believe that he would have a capacity, the understanding, the life experience, the education, the ability to run this company. But lo and behold, FTX raises billions and he's got money flowing into it and you know he seems to be was the most high flying among the most high flying in the world is jetting around and meeting with the rich and famous and dining in washington with the power the ruling elite class the powers of washington and as you know ftx collapsed collapsed and so this you know cryptocurrency uh company which was you know it was trading its own currency and uh, of course, now that millions have lost money, not millions, millions of dollars have been lost and uh, hundreds of thousands of people have lost money. Of course, everyone's scrambling to say what the heck happened. And I want to posit a couple things to think about because I think this is really, it's, it's very, very instructive and helpful uh, to not just learn from this story, um, but to maybe shape policy uh, moving forward and how we deal with these, all these cryptocurrency, you know, high-flying things. Uh, number one is um, that the company is now acknowledging that they are trying to get back political donations. So this guy, this, you know, very young Sam Bankman-Fried managed to get donations we're going to get in a moment to the issue of where he got donations from, very interesting, but where he spent his money, he was the second largest donor to the Democrat candidates in this country, only person who donated more. Um, I'd say if I were just in person, can you guess who it was? Uh, but it was George Soros. Only George Soros donated more money to the Democrats than this guy did. So he's a huge political donor to the American left. And if you follow the mainstream media, which I don't advise, but if you do, you discover none of them cover that point. None of them point out, gee, this guy, I mean, raised millions and he's just, you know, throwing out campaign donations to all these Democrat causes and candidates. And they're now, by the way, the, the company and trying to, they have declared bankruptcy. And what you have to do then is try to gather all the assets uh, to figure out, you know, what you actually have on hand uh, because they claim they're bankrupt. And so they're trying to get some of the donations back and some political parties and, 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 and political entities and individuals are, are returning the money. But there are a lot of questions to be asked beneath just, you know, how this all happened. Uh, number one, um, there's a great concern about this guy's connections. Even, this is Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, even before he got involved in that, his parents are both left-wing Democrat Stanford professors um, who themselves heavily involved in Democrat causes, heavily involved in advising and helping their son's company, have very connected high levels in the Democrat Party. And so these, you know, these people were, they're high flying too. In fact, Sam, uh, with all the alleged millions he was earning at FTX, had bought them some sprawling mansion on the beach in the Bahamas. Um, I assume that the company will try to take that back. But in any case, the parents have benefited from all this money flowing into FTX. And these parents, as I say, very left-wing Stanford, um, you know, uh, professors who have engaged in a lot of uh, left-wing activism and they're down in the Bahamas or when he was down in the Bahamas or down there defending their son saying he's really great. Uh, FTX lawyers are now saying a substantial amount of assets, substantial amount of assets seem to have been stolen. The assets people put into this company seem to have been stolen. 
unsurprising, but they are not able to track down as many assets, uh, some of the Democrats giving back. The Democrat Senate Majority Political Action, the PAC Committee, is going to return about $3 million. Um, but the thing I want to raise, I, don't, I just don't want to dive into too deep in this story, but I, I want to make this other point about this story. There were individuals who got all excited about FTX. They, you know, they saw people, I mean, even like Tom Brady, the quarterback, made an ad for them and was just, you know, extolling the virtues. Oh, yeah, greatest thing ever. And, you know, you can use the expression Ponzi scheme. Is it, you know, someone's money coming in to pay somebody else to give the appearance? Everything's going great. In fact, I think it was as late as November. I didn't write the date down. November 12th or so, uh, Sam Berkman Fried put a, a tweet out saying, All these rumors about a pro a economic problems with F, you know, don't worry about my gosh, FTX is sound, we're liquid, we're heavily regulated, don't worry about it, everything's great. And now, of course, they're completely bankrupt. Um, but there is some question with all this money running around, and I am going to be clear, I am speculating because I don't have facts to prove what I'm saying, but in the milieu of spending millions and high-flying with all the, the, the Democrat money in Washington and the George Soros kind of money, I would wonder, I would like to find out whether or not any money somehow made it into the uh, FTX firm when it was still high-flying that maybe made its way there through the American government, made its way there through uh, spending decisions, uh, you know, the endless just pouring of money out of Washington to every conceivable outlet, you know, many of whom we don't know really who they are, where they are, what they do. Amer the uh, Congress just, just spends money like, you know, a drunken sailor would be offended if they were accused of spending as bad as Congress does. So there's a concern that these high-flying, high-connected Democrats, all of whom, uh, many of whom, knew some of the, the, the had connections with the parents of this kid. Uh, he's in Washington, rubbing elbows, saying how cool he is, giving money out. You just kind of wonder whether FTX itself was a money laundering operation. I mean, a way for people in government to send money that way, maybe through NGOs, maybe through some other channel we can't quite track down. This is what happens when we have out of control spend in Washington. Makes its way to FTX and, you know, then ends up being, you know, a campaign donation money, um, ends up being money paid to keep the initial donors happy because the new donors aren't expecting a return yet. It's a very ugly situation. And the ugliest part of it all is that it is really unclear if there was that kind of money laundering operation going on, who's going to investigate that that we can trust? The Biden administration? The Biden administration? You think they're going to investigate? They're going to try to figure out what happened, who put money in, where did it go? They may get after him. They may, he is being prosecuted. They may get after him. And by the way, just to try to paint the picture a little more deeply about this guy, this guy was... As I say, no reason from anything on his resume, education, past experience, uh, business success, anything demonstrating business acumen, no reason to think he should be in the role he was in. He's living in a high-flying lifestyle in Bahamas with other of his equally high-rolling and un not necessarily uh, qualified colleagues at that company. A very high-flying lifestyle, a lot of rumors flying around the kind of lifestyle they were living down there, uh, just, you know, rolling in money, and who knows where it came from. And, you know, it's, it's a, by itself, it is a crime if this is just an entire fraud. The company itself was a fraud. 
and whether the money, where the money was coming from, uh, who is benefiting from it. Is, and this is it's kind of like we talk about Ukraine. You know, we have Congress spending money through NGOs and somehow seems to be making its way back uh, into the pockets of some very high-level people connected to, the, to politicians in this country. So, you know, I'm, I'm back to this point I was making in the first um, segment, just, just talking about Katie Hobbs. It's the gap, the just, just monumental gap between what the American people think government should be and what the regulators should be doing and how American tax dollars should be spent and how what seems to be happening in Washington, D.C., by really by both parties, but the kind of we, no accountability, no understanding, no penetration, no transparency. We just have no idea. But we're watching, and, and there was, by the way, and, um, there may be many lawsuits, but there was one lawsuit I read about a man who'd been a Tom Brady fan his whole life and just loved the New England Patriots and always loved Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. When he saw Tom Brady do a commercial for FTX, he invested, this one individual American, his entire retirement savings. Maybe not wise, but he lost it all. He lost everything. So he's suing Tom Brady, which is a whole other issue. But getting to the point, innocent people get hurt by these things, number one. Number two, any money flowing out of the U.S. coffers, even if it makes a few, you know, skips and jumps in different banks and accounts and NGOs so it gets there, this is, this is the reason American people sit back and look at the government and just say, where is normal America? Where is a responsive government? Where is a government doing the functions we expect them to do instead of what appears to have been, or is at least of great concern and suspicion by people, there's money flowing out of the U.S. coffers, making its way to a cryptocurrency fraud like FTX, which in turn gives money back to Democrat candidates. Uh, a lot of cause for concern, uh, alleged investigation ongoing. Uh, I'm not sure how successful that will be, but it would be nice if it would. Okay, quickly before we go to my next topic, I'm going to mention, uh, if you're listening on radio, uh, first of all, thank you to Brighton and Radio carrying the show. You're listening to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Our website is americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And you can go there anytime, watch past shows. We have some new features coming out in the new year on the website, which you can go to the website. You can watch, you can see past shows, past interviews, blog posts, why it matters. Everything we have is right there on the website. And you can watch the show live on the website. Go to the show at our start time at 3 p.m., americacanwetalk.org, and just put backslash live and up it will come. You can watch right there on the website, uh, besides watching on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble. Okay, but anyway, you have a break coming up. Happy radio listeners for the bottom of the hour for three minutes. Don't go away. I'll be right here and continuing to talk about saving America. Okay, I'm going to hit the omnibus bill next. And the reason, um, I'm in fact, I'm going to look for something that a friend of mine sent me uh, related to uh, the omnibus bill. And, um, and the reason I want to do that is uh, it's a really, um, it's a, another measure of, another example of this great, chasm, this, this monumental, you know, uh, otherworldly distinction between the vast majority of the American people and what the U.S. government does. First, I want to ha ask our happy producer, Mr. Emilio, there's one clip we have. Uh, this is a clip 
of the, again, apparent um, Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, explaining Republican priorities on spending. Before I tell you more about what's in the omnibus bill, let me just have you hear what uh, Mr. McConnell thinks the top priority for spending should be. So let's step back and say, what are the real needs of the country right now? They're in the defense part of our expenditures, making sure the Defense Department can deal <clears throat> with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. That's sort of how we see the challenges confronting uh, the country at the moment. Okay, so he's, this is Senator McConnell, and this, by the way, today, I understand uh, the Ukrainian leader Zelensky is making a, a joint address to Congress, and we've talked about Ukraine many times, and, and we'll do it again in the new year. This is a, number one, the number one money laundering country in the world. That's what Ukraine is. American dollars go over there, they go through NGOs, they're always you know, pitched as, oh, we're gonna help this group or that group, we're gonna help, you know, we're doing great things, we, we just write checks, write checks, and every time you turn around, there's a new headline uh, in anywhere you read talking about, well, Biden demands another 37 billion for this, and Democrats spend another 40 billion. It's all going to Ukraine, and yet the war you know, doesn't seem to get over, and uh, plenty of, uh, of verified stories of uh, the money quickly shifting out of the Ukraine, going other places, and the American people, again, we're just, we look at them at Congress and say, are you kidding me? So Mitch McConnell, who's now can see that the American people gave the majority back to the GOP in the House, so just a few short weeks away, we're gonna have the GOP majority in the House, and he can see that the American people are just fed up with so many things going on under the Biden administration, and he's saying, yeah, number one priority is to send more money to the Ukraine. But there's an omnibus bill pending. And this omnibus means one big fat bill into which everything is thrown. And this omnibus bill has just a few things. You talk about just a total disconnect between the American people and what the government is doing. The American people would really like to have a restoration of our fossil fuel industry and getting energy back to being affordable, reliable, getting America back to being energy independent. The American people would like the border secure, especially if you live in a border state. But even if you live in the middle of the country or as far north as, as America goes, America needs the border secure. It is like building a house and telling the builder, you know what, don't bother putting on a front door. That is what our Congress and our government is doing and permitting by not enforcing a southern border. It is totally unenforced. So, but you know, you'd think so that would be like a top priority, uh, fighting the fentanyl, because there's fentanyl coming over, fighting the fentanyl crisis. You would think there'd be money in there for all sorts of America-based needs. Instead, let me share a few gems. First of all, and I'm going to ask you what percentage of Americans really, really hope this is how Congress spends your money. In this bill, in this omnibus bill, $1.2 million for LGBTQIA plus pride centers. So the federal government is spending your tax dollars to build pride centers around the country for the LGBTQIA plus 
community, to use their word. 1.2 million for services for DACA recipients. So to go to, go to community college. 477,000 for the Equity Institute in Rhode Island. The Equity Institute in Rhode Island, nearly half a million dollars to indoctrinate teachers with anti-racism virtual labs. $1 million for Zora's House in Ohio, a co-working and community space for women and gender expansive people of color. $3 million for the LGBTQ Museum in New York City. $3.6 million for the Michelle Obama Trail, hiking trail in Georgia. Um, $750,000 uh, uh, for the LGBT and gender nonconforming housing just in one city, Albany, New York. Two, I mean, it just goes on and on. So there's a mountain of money being spent to build all these monuments and, and aiding and, and, and encouraging and pride centers surrounding the LGBTQ explosion in this country. I'm going to tell you, this is not what the majority of Americans have in mind when they think Congress is spending their tax dollars. They're, they don't think that's what Americans have in mind. This is an utter disconnect. This is the power of these, these massively determined uh, special interest groups pushing Washington. And so they get to Washington and they think, well, why would we spend money securing the border when we can spend money on a pride center? Um, Oh, they have $750,000 for the Trans-Latin Coalition to provide workforce development programs and supportive services for transgender and gender nonconforming and intersex immigrant women in Los Angeles. I mean, the, the, the narrow specificity with which all these things are being sent out. But I'll tell you something else that's amazing in this bill. How much money we're sending to help border security in Jordan, the country of Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia and Oman. So we're sending our tax dollars to other countries to help them secure border security, 410 million for enhanced border security, and not less than, I can't even read that many zeros. 150 million, okay, <laughs> shall be just for Jordan. I mean, these are just some examples. I can go on with some other ones. We're going to have a monument in Washington, D.C. to journalists. Because heaven knows we love our journalists. I mean, I mean the concept is, is to say, honor the First Amendment. So we're going to build a monument with your tax dollars honoring journalists. We're also going to have money sent to the public broadcasting. Well known to be always leftist, regardless of what they say about neutrality. So you have the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is going to get um, 500, I can't read that many zeros, 535 million. 535 million, and this is basically PBS and NPR and all these these organizations around the country uh, that simply are all about uh, pushing the left wing view and presenting it in a very moderate tone, as though they're very very reasonable. I mean, there's I could just this is a 1.7 trillion funding package, and I'm not even in today in this segment. I'm not even talking about the absurdity of spending money we don't have. We are spending money we don't have. It, it's beyond ridiculous. But it's spending that the American people, the taxpayers, do, are not interested in, did not ask for, they've not been clamoring. I haven't noticed any big you know, protests. We demand funding for all this. But it's the federal government telling you, we don't listen to anything you think. 
we don't care what you think. We're not going to protect America. We're not going to protect the border. And we now have, by the way, I mentioned this is omnibus bill because very soon coming up, um, you know, we'll have Republican majority in the House. A friend of mine who's in Congress sent me this text yesterday, and he's saying, basically putting in a letter that was sent from the House members. Okay, now I might have closed out of it. Um, no, from the House members, the House Republicans sent a letter to the Senate Republicans because the Senate is 50-50. And we still could get the Senate Republicans stopping this. We could get them to stop it. But my friend um, who sent this to me is, is a long letter, but basically they're saying, uh, dear Senate Republican colleagues, we urge you to take all steps necessary to stop the soon-to-be-finalized omnibus spending bill negotiated with Democrats at the very least Due respect for Americans who elected us would call for not passing a lame duck spending bill just days before members fly home for Christmas and two weeks before a new Republican majority is sworn in for the 118th Congress. Senate Republicans have the 41 votes necessary to stop this and should do so now and show the Americans who elected you that they weren't wrong in doing so. And I, I mean, I could, this is a long letter, I could read the whole thing, but the tweet that he put out with it was um, the closing line, this is this, the House Republican majority telling the Senate Republicans, we're obliged to inform you that if any omnibus passes in the remaining days of this Congress, we will oppose and whip opposition to any legislative priority of those senators who vote for this bill, including the leader. They are livid. Conservatives in the House are livid with McConnell in the Senate, and they're trying to say, we're going to do something. You have to feel responsible. And I get around my point from the beginning. I am going to get to a positive point. I know you're thinking, okay, you're, you're a, a Debbie Downer today. I think it matters that the American people have no sense that the people they elected in Washington, they have no reason to believe those people will ever, ever, ever listen to them. They just ignore them. They lure them on election integrity. They, they ignore them on building the wall. They ignore them on funding the border. They ignore them, the special interest groups formed by and, and based around these siloing of Americans into you know, hyphenated groups. So this American group, that American group, these Americans, those kind of special interest groups with hyphenated names are getting all of the money and all of the power and all of the backing from Congress because they show up and say, you better give us money or else we're coming after you. And there just is not enough common sense, Main Street, mainstream, apple pie American people in the House and Senate to say, this is not a right priority. This is not a priority. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to spend. And they spend money as though it's theirs when it's really ours. And our country is, as you know, deeply in debt. We have a huge, um, not just a deficit annually, but a huge debt. And all they do is write more checks. And there are plenty of Republicans, including, well, I'm in the gray state of Texas, one of the two Republican senators from Texas, Senator John Cornyn, going, as he always does, going right along with this. All the usual suspect Republicans in the Senate are going to let this omnibus bill go through. Romney's behind it, naturally. Susan Collins, all the usual Republicans who never stand up for one thing in their lives are going along with this. And this is, again, it's building the frustration among the American people. Who's going to listen to us? Okay, I do want to hit two other stories and not run out of time. Um, I talked about, I call this the Stanford Word Police Agenda. 
you know, it's gotten so much attention in the media that I almost, I'm just going to give it a, a quick coverage, which is Stanford, and other universities do this, but Stanford happened to be the most recent one. Stanford put out their list of suggested terms you're not allowed to use. I had to download it because you know what happened? They put this out. They're basically telling this is how the elite ruling class speak. You don't say this word anymore. That's not allowed. You have to say this word. And the reason is they have some reason they give. Well, it was so absurd. This actually came out in May, but apparently no one really noticed until recently. And it came out. The Wall Street Journal did a little, journal, a little piece on it just saying, are you kidding me? And so they had all these absurdities in there. Uh, one being, you can't any, more, any longer talk about walk-ins aloud. Like, you know, you sometimes you see a hair salon or a nail place or any kind of business that might require an appointment. But it'll say walk-ins, walk-ins. You can't say walk-ins anymore. Drop-in or open office, or you have to say instead, because it's ableist language that trivializes the experience of people living with disabilities. You can't say the word grandfather anymore. Because that has somehow, I mean, it's the most absurd, contorted, I mean, the explanation they give or why you can't say grandfather and other words is so contorted. Well, back in history, that word came from this and then this happened. I mean, no one in America is thinking about any of those things. They're thinking about, I love my grandfather. He was a great guy. My grandfather is a great guy. If you still have a grandfather around, but you can't say grandfather anymore um, because you just have to say legacy, which doesn't even make any sense. But grandfather, the term has its roots in the grandfather clause adopted by Southern states to deny voting rights to blacks. I mean, no one who says the word grandfather or the term I was grandfathered in at a certain rate or grandfathered in as a member, you can't say that anymore because someone might remember that back over 100 years ago, Somebody used that term in a way that was offensive. I, I mean, but, and I, I'm, I'm mocking them, of course. I'm, I'm happy to mock them. They have tons of words like that. But the deeper point related to all this language control is that it's not just about trying to help people's feelings. It's not about that. I mean, there may be some examples of where, yeah, someone, you know, um, you know who may find some particular common, commonly used term offensive and maybe is trending now to use a different term. So maybe some of them aren't that offensive. But the agenda behind the word police is to change what you think and change what you believe. And so they have numerous examples in this endless list, litany list of things you can and cannot say, what you should say instead, and how they, the ruling elite, are going to tell you why you have to say that. But one of the reasons they give for several of them is you can't say things that imply that gender identity, as a good example, gender identity implies that you, or I can't remember which word it was they were getting out, but the point what they're trying to make is you can't say anything that implies that person, that people who are a guy, but you want to be called a girl or a girl. Oh, you can't say preferred pronouns. That's, you can't say preferred pronouns. That's all of a sudden taboo because when you use the word preferred, you're implying that, you know, they just chose this randomly, like you prefer, you know, vanilla ice cream instead of strawberry or something. So when you use the word preferred pronoun, you're implying that this whole gender transition thing that is all the craze is actually somehow a choice versus who they really are. You're denying them their identity if you use the term gender pronouns. Well, there are about a hundred of these. Stanford got so mocked about it that they pulled down the list, it was on their website, 
They pulled it down, and now you have to log in to get to it. You have to be a member of the Stanford community. I guess you have to be a student or a faculty to even see it. But fortunately, of course, someone already grabbed it, so we have it. But there really is a, it's, it's not just, you know, mocking over-the-top, you know, political correctness that is the problem. It is a way to bend and mold and to shape, and to shape societal thought. They want you to stop thinking, for example, that people who you know, are guys but say they're girls or they want to become women and they are wanting to do a transition or a transgendering or the e either direction, that these people are, whatever they say they are is real. That's what they are. And you have no right to question it when they, you know, you have no right to say, but you actually really are anatomically a male and you really are a female and you want to change us one thing but you can't call it a change you can't call it a preference because that would be implying that what they believe they are isn't real and you have to agree with them that what they say they are is real anyway it, on all sorts of topics so they got roundly rebuked you can't say grandfather you can't say the word brave or the way brave is out of the dictionary because brave in fact all these words they, they tell you um they give a um a suggested other word to use instead, but there's no other word, no other word permitted for the word brave, because brave is just not allowed. Can't say brave. So I will just say, be brave and ignore everything these fools are saying and recognize it's not just political correctness. It is to mold and shape what you believe about life, America, society, everything to the left-wing view. And the best thing you can do is be brave and ignore what they're saying. Okay, I'm going to hit, um, I hope I'm, yeah, I'm doing okay on time. Okay, I want to hit just very quickly this um, Trump uh, tax release, um, and I called it dangerous audacity. So you likely heard the uh, House um, committee, that, and I'll tell you which committee it is, it's a U.S. House committee that had fought and fought and fought and fought to get all of Donald Trump's taxes. Now, you might not remember this, but Donald Trump isn't president anymore, he's out of office, yeah, not even president. Um, but there's a, um, the House committee uh, that got a hold of the tax returns, his last six years of tax returns, has voted um, that they are going to release them to the public. So the House committee that normally, you know, people think their taxes are private. I mean, you, you file your tax returns, you assume, I mean, they don't go onto a public website, you know, you assume mostly uh, what you um, vote, what you do in your tax returns, you know, unless you're going to get audited or something, and then it may become somewhat more public as you have to litigate it, but your tax returns are supposed to be private, and everyone knows this. So, but the House Ways and Means Committee, as one of their parting shots, because they're soon to lose the Democrat majority, so on party line vote, the House Ways and Means Committee, all the Democrats line said, yes, we're going to release Donald Trump's taxes, tax returns for the last six years. And, you know, the Republicans voted no, but they have no power. So this committee is saying they're going to do that. And they're all gleeful. This is great. The American people are going to see. I mean, I just want you to think for a moment what the motive is. Because Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump makes every leftist insane. And they want more than anything to diminish his potential future viability as a candidate, uh, whether he can run for president again or not. They want to make him as unviable as possible. They want to make him just as hated as possible. And they think by releasing the tax returns, at least two things will happen, which they both, both which they like. Uh, one is they think that the American people will just be disgusted by the, how wealthy he is. 
because look at all this money. My gosh, the guy wrote off, you know, X thousands for this, and and you know, and he's so it, it'll just be a way to to drive home uh, the uh, wealth that Donald Trump has accumulated, and you know, because all the numbers will be sitting on the tax returns. Uh, and the other one is because the left will release their army, their you know, legions of lawyers to comb over the tax returns to find something that, in their, in their you know, wildest dreams, uh, something that will say, wow, this really seems illegal. I mean, I don't think he should have been allowed to uh, claim this as a deduction. He shouldn't have been allowed to apply this formula. He should, have, uh, he should have had to pay more taxes. He should not have allowed this deduction. There'll be legions of lawyers pouring over saying, wow, we found something. And then, of course, turning it into, as the Democrats are so good at, turning it into a, you know, a soundbite headline about, look, Donald Trump, you know, remember he cheated on that, you know, whatever it would be, the duck farm uh, deduction. I just made that up. But you know what I'm saying? It'll be, it'll just be the endless discussion is fodder for endless headlines for years to come. But the real point I want to make, besides they're just trying to engender hatred of him and get the American people, they believe the American people will become more jealous, more outraged by his wealth, and they're going to find legal claims. They hope they can make some colorable argument that there's something wrong with them. But as core, they're trying to tell the American people, we hate Donald Trump, you should hate Donald Trump, and he's never going to hold office again. This is their message. And is their message is why they went after his records at Mar-a-Lago. It's why they came up with two ridiculous, unfounded impeachment efforts that everyone at the time was saying, what are you even talking about? This is, this is not impeachable. And everyone knew it, but the Democrats had the power and they did it. And so it is to tell that message to the American people. But most finally is, it's kind of a shot across the bow to every American. You know, we could ruin you. We, if we have a right, and they apparently have a legal right, I've not seen a colorable legal argument saying they don't, they could do this to anybody. And they could do it to people who are called in front of the committee. You know, you testified about whatever the issue is, and we, we got your tax returns. I think we're going to release them to the public. I mean, so, and you know, they need to be careful because right now I'm going to guess there are a lot of Democrats who really, really, really wouldn't like to have their tax returns released to the American people. Nancy and Paul Pelosi come to mind. I don't think they would like that. Hillary and Bill Clinton. I don't think whatever all that, I know that she did more of a release as did Bill Clinton when they ran for president, more of a release. Uh, they did something in terms of a release, but the release of massive tax records, Hillary and Bill, uh, the Pelosi's, uh, and Ilhan Omar. I mean, there's just a lot. Chuck Schumer. There are just an endless list of people on the left who truly, deeply uh, would not want to have their tax returns released. And this is kind of brings me around to the point I want to make. Um, and this um, just, the, I called it dangerous audacity, but the Democrats are doing this, releasing Donald Trump's tax returns because they can, because no one's stopping them. Because they have, they are mad for power. This is why they manipulate elections. It's why they hold on to power. It's why they give out money to every conceivable uh, minority group, interest group, special interest group, hyphenated group to get that to get loyalty. They are desperate for power. They are not going to lose this power easily. They're not going to drop it. And you know, I use the term relentless about the left. Because it's a bigger thing than just they happen to be more determined politicians. 
America's left has been utterly overtaken by Marxist ideology. What the Democrat Party in America stands for is really very, very, there's hardly any difference at all. Almost the same thing as what the Marxists push. It's the Democrat Marxist Party of America by their agenda, by their platform, by the issues they push, by the agenda they have, by the behavior they demand, by what they, by their conduct in suppressing free speech and suppressing religion, suppressing the American people. The American Democrat Party has really been overtaken by Marxism. And this is one of the hallmarks of this Marxist takedown of any country. Once they have power, they will not relinquish it. They will move to cement control over everything. And what they're doing by this release of his tax returns, it's sending a message to everybody, whoever thinks they might stand up against them, whoever thinks about it, you know, you could be next. And so they're, they're audacious is maybe a nice word. They are vicious. The Democrat Party's conduct and you know, hundreds of examples we talk about in the show, it is relentless, it is power hungry, it is moving to cement power, and it is vicious. They will stop at nothing. If they can destroy, uh, if they think they can destroy Donald Trump because people get upset about his tax returns, I don't think that people who like Donald Trump and support his ideology, his uh, Make America Great agenda, they don't really care what taxes he paid, they just don't care. It's not going to sway them, even if they think, yeah, that probably was a deduction that was maybe, you know, should have been half that or something. If they even find things they don't think are exactly right. Because the Americans supporting Donald Trump and supporting the, the ideals of the Republican Party, I can't say it's the way the Republican Party conducts itself now, but the ideals of the party uh, the, who want the Make America Great Agenda, they want America as founded, they want the Bill of Rights, they want to have consent of the government, they want everything the Declaration of the Constitution says. Those people, they're not going to say, well, I, I really was behind Donald Trump, but now that I've seen the tax returns, not going to happen. But the left does hope they can unleash more vitriol, more anger, more vicious hatred of Donald Trump by releasing his tax returns. And, and folks, I just don't know if it's going to work. I don't think so. Hey, by the way, uh, radio listeners, I think you're about to go off very quickly. I want to urge you again to come to our website, americacanwetalk.org. At our website, we'll be putting shows up, blog posts up, uh, I'll be, and, and stay in touch. Um, I know the holidays are coming up. It's Hanukkah season. It's Christmas season. I'm going to do a last little bit about that. Um, but I, I want to thank, first of all, thank everyone listening on radio or live, however you're listening. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. Would love to have your support at americacanwetalk.org. You can become a member. You can, you can, it's a $50 a year membership. You can make a donation to support this show, to keep it live and on air because it, it, we do, we do, we actually function on listener support. That's how we roll. So I love your support there. You can make a donation online. You can sign up for our newsletter and always remember to come back on Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. And so for uh, radio listeners, I will um, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time. For everybody else, before I get to telling you, I'm going to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you, because I always do that at the end of every show. But before we get to that, I want to just mention Hanukkah and uh, Christmas. And the reason I want to do that, I mentioned at the start of the show um, that I was at a function last night, and it was really quite, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a function, it was a Dallas Jewish Conservatives, and um, it was a, a beautiful event. I mean, they had, it was just a beautiful event. I was very honored, blessed to be able to do the fireside chat with Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips and have them talk about their work and, on election integrity. It was really a wonderful thing. 
But the other thing I took away from that is, I mean, this group, you know, the effort of some people to divide Americans and pit us against each other and have, you know, competing views of who's more important or competing views of, of, of who's, I mean, what you took away from that night, there's, from last night, there's a tremendous unity, a tremendous unity against people who believe in the, within and among people who believe in the idea of America. There's overwhelming unity among people of very different religious, ethnic, racial backgrounds who unite around the idea of believing in America. And that's why it was there last night, visible. There were people there of every racial background. There was certainly a large contingency of Jewish Americans, many Christians. Uh, lot, you know, my husband and I are Christian. We, uh, we feel completely embraced and, and loved by that group. And you really you took away some warmth about the idea that the unifying idea that we can, that can bring America, America together is belief in the ideas of America. Belief in the ideas of the Declaration, the Constitution, all those ideas. That is really and truly uh, a, a truly deeply unifying thing. Far more than race, ethnicity, and national origin is belief in the idea of America. And that's what we must, must push in the new year going forward, recognizing the attacks on America happening all over America from the anti-American left, but really the growing unity among people who just believe in the idea of America was truly great. So I want to wish everyone listening a, a happy Hanukkah. Um, I hope you have wonderful celebrations and time for contemplation with your family and time to count your blessings. Uh, I wish our Christian listeners a Merry Christmas, um, you know, most wonderful time of the year, but really a great time for reflection about the great gift we have of living in America, of being American citizens, of being blessed by the ideas the founders embraced, and living in this country that is still dedicated to the idea, uh, ideas laid out in our Declaration, in our Constitution, the idea that we all are equal, we all have rights from God, simply because we were born. That's what America is, and I, I just urge you all to celebrate in your heart the birth of our Savior, and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas and the promise and the joy of of the of the um, of Jesus' birth of, of everything the Bible teaches us about uh, the birth of Jesus and the promise of Jesus' life and all that He did and mankind, all He taught us and all He demonstrated. Um, and I also urge you to recognize that there's just a tremendous opportunity for bringing unity to America around the ideas of America and recognizing that those ideas of America really do spring from promises the scriptures make. That's what America's ideals and ideals and ideas came from. The idea is we all have rights from God. We have God-given rights that include at the very minimum life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and many other rights that are just inherent in the scripture's um, description of, of who we are as, as uh, because we have a common creator, because we have a creator recognized in America's founding. So anyway, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and I will tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started the show talking about uh, Katie Hobbs, emergency can't testify, surprising, uh, Carrie Lake, Arizona election fraud trial update, um, litigious legal gobbledygook, results in excusing Katie Hobbs from testifying. Katie Hobbs is the top Arizona elected official responsible for elections and the purported governor-elect, but the legal system says she doesn't have to testify about an abomination of an election. Lawyers, judges wrapped up in fastidious procedural rules seem to think this is okay. Non-lawyer real people 
throw up their hands at what seems to be an unconscionable defiance of truth and justice and accountability of government officials, Arizona legal system not generating any confidence that justice based on the truth is the goal. Will Arizona, Arizonans accept anything less than an order for a new election? An FTX, another Democrat scandal? Yes. Records of FTX described so far are so barren of even a, uh, a fig leaf of legitimacy as to make the entire enterprise appear to have been created entirely for the purpose of laundering funds to Democrat campaigns and causes. Key question, including taxpayer funds? Uh, links between SEC chairman and FTX general counsel raise concerns. FTX management largely devoid of achievement, professional stature, relevant experience. Sam, Sam B.F., son of a Democrat activist Stanford law professors, of two activist Democrat Stanford law professors, what other qualifications? Crypto mystique and celebrity endorsements propped up everything, but there was nothing there. How well would Democrat candidates have done without the 40 plus million of FTX donations, which were second only to the donations of George Soros? Sam Bankman-Fried arrested on the eve of and in order to block congressional testimony. I forgot to mention that point. People were all celebrating. Yay, they arrested that guy. They arrested him right before he's supposed to testify in Congress, therefore preventing him from testifying in Congress. So a uh, stench of beltway deep state corruption is all over FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. On the omnibus bill, proof that deep state hates America, Beltway uniparty leaders like McConnell still trotting out, keep the government from shutting down. Triumph in $1.7 trillion spending bill. Top priority to support Ukraine, not the southern border. Billion dollar subsidy for public broadcasting. Museums and pride centers all over the country. Endless earmark type pet projects. No elected official will read this before voting on it. Only the lobbyists who wrote it. Complete ugly mockery of representative government and government by the consent of the governed. Passing this bill is not the action of representatives who fear accountability in elections. Why might they not be afraid of the voters? Maybe because the elections are not real. And Stanford Word Police Agenda, Stanford University rolls out announcement of elimination of the Harmful Words Initiative. Thank goodness. American, immigrant, grandfather, brave, gangbusters on the bad list. Wrapped in the good intentions of sensitivity, this is nothing but enforced ideology, utterly unrelated to academic excellence, mind manipulation in action at a leftist university, control language in order to control thought, in order to control the masses, the operative word, control. Relearning the civilizational balance, civilizational building block of freedom of speech is imperative to save America. And finally, the dangerous audacity, Trump tax release, um, even many Democrats recognize the public release of Trump tax returns is bad precedent. Where are the tax returns of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Merrick Garland, Christopher Wray? Or how about every member of the Congress, Senate, even cabinet secretaries? Rabid leftists may think this is a triumph, and Dems are counting on pundits using tax return information to generate more hate of Trump. Reality, the American people are exhausted by the over-the-top breaking of all laws and procedures and norms to get Trump. They know he's not the problem. Those pursuing destroy Trump at all costs are the threat to America. And at the very end, I will say we had it up a moment ago. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and speak up for America. Everybody speak up for this precious country.
I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you?